Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. Today we'll be reading from 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 17. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hamanias and Philetus. And this is the reading of God's Word. Good morning, Audacity Church. We are so glad that you're here today. If this is your first time in a long time, or maybe you're just a regular, thank you for being here. Um, In honor of No Shave November, yeah, it's taken me about two months to grow this thing out, and it still looks. Got it. Um, uh, we decided to uh, do a series uh, called Dead Dudes with Beards. Now, we call theologians in, the, in Audacity, in, in this house, we call dead theologians dead dudes with beards. And theologians and philosophers were men and women that had an impact on where the church is today. And so we're going to take the next few weeks, maybe several weeks, maybe even into December, and look at what these people thought and what they taught and how they impacted the church that you and I are a part of. And so uh, let me just start off by saying yesterday was a lot more than just Halloween. Okay, Yesterday marked the 498th anniversary of this guy. His name was Martin Luther. In the year uh, 1517, Martin Luther goes up to this Catholic church, basically it's called the Castle Church, and he takes a piece of paper that has what's called the 95 Thesis, and he nails it to the door of the church. They didn't have email. He could have sent his 95 Thesis via email, but they didn't have that. So this was his way of delivering his thoughts to the Catholic church. Luther addresses 95 what he calls excesses and corruptions that he was witnessing in the church as a priest, what he was seeing going on. And this would begin what some of us call the Protestant Reformation. Now, Martin Luther and several other guys are credited to doing this. Luther condemns a lot of the actions that he sees happening in the Roman Catholic Church, especially the papal practice of what's called indulgences. Indulgences was a practice in the 1500s that you could basically pay a fee and your sins would be forgiven. And it was one of the things that drove Luther mad. He strongly disputed the claim that God's punishment for sin could be purchased with money. Luther taught that salvation and eternal life is not earned by good deeds or by money, but it is a gift of God of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
This challenged the office and the authority of the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. And truth is, if Martin Luther had a beard, we could spend more time talking about him. Way to go, Luther. Boo, boo. Luther and others are credited for starting what's called the Protestant Reformation. This is what I want you to take note. So in this house, we have people from all kinds of walks of life. I mean, it fascinates me, the people that God sends to audacity. And so I want to explain this position because I think that if you bing or google it later you're going to see a lot more voices that aren't necessarily true and some of my closest friends don't agree with this and they're entitled to be wrong no big deal these men that started what was called the protestant reformation i want you to understand this they did not intend to start new denominations Their intentions of trying to start this reformation they wanted to see something healed from within that was what their, 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 the challenge was. They, were seeing, they saw a corrupt and very dangerous church. It took it a thousand years, basically, we're going to look at it in just a minute, to become corrupt, and it was no longer mirroring what the apostles had started. These men had no intentions of breaking away. They wanted to see healing and restoration of the corruption and the abuse that was happening within the church that had been going on for many generations. Today, we're going to spend some time talking about somebody I believe really kicked all this off. He's one of a few voices. On May 4th of the year 1415, it was a long time ago, at the Council of what's called Constance, there was uh, this man that we're going to look at was declared a heretic. The order was then confirmed years later by Pope Martin V and was carried out in 1428. In 1428, the dead body of this man was exhumed from the grave where he had been buried for 43 years and burned. And then they took his ashes and threw him into a river. What? Could someone done, what could someone have done to have the church dig up this dead guy with a beard? Father, we love you. Father's the scripture that Jess read for us. I don't want to cause division. I don't want to babble. I don't want the hearers of these words to be confused or left here disheartened. Father, I want them to be challenged by what they hear. I want them to realize that what, what, what the price that was paid and how where the church is now and very short centuries later and how we're even starting to do some of the things that men have already went before us and paid a great price so that we could do church the right way. Father, I pray that you're honored today as we reflect on your word. And as we honor some of the saints that have gone before us, we pray this in Jesus' name. Long before Martin Luther, the gentleman that we're going to speak about today is named John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe was a university professor at Oxford. He was a philosopher, a theologian, and a pastor. This was in the 14th century. 
He was a precursor to what's called the Reformation. The Reformation doesn't happen until almost 100 years after this guy starts to oppose what he sees happening in the church. And there are, there are many things that this guy said and did, but history really shows us three different things that John Wycliffe stood for and what he opposed and what he saw happening in the church. And we're just going to unpack those three things in the time that we have together. The first one I'm going to call the pursuit of holiness. John Wycliffe he believed that holiness of the individual was more important than the official office. And then he said it this way, a truly pious, and when he used pious, he wasn't using a negative term, he was using it as in a devote. A truly devote person was morally superior to a wicked, ordained cleric. This is how John Wycliffe, John Wycliffe put it. Trust holy in Christ, rely captioned together on his suffering. Beware of being of seeking to be justified in any other way than by his righteousness. Church, I, 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 I'm scared to death because I see this happening. I see men in leadership roles in the church that raise themselves above everybody else. You hang around us long enough, you know that that's not how we roll. We don't. I am a a man that has been called, ordained, set apart to preach the gospel and to lead a church. That doesn't make me any more important or any more righteous. And when I start to pray, Jesus doesn't see the bat phone ringing, so he picks it up quicker than when you call. The only difference between you and me and most of you is I'm gifted different with my spiritual gifts. Number one. The only thing that separates me from you is that whenever I stand before a just and holy God, I will be held at a higher level of accountability than you were. Winning, not really. That's the only thing that separates me from you. And I see it in the church, and it's creeping back into the church where we have celebrity pastors. People even have that in their title. And I want to make much of the name of Jesus. I heard it put this way, and I kind of believe it in my own heart. I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about the greatest somebody. That's it. And he witnessed corrupt people leading the church, and they carried themselves around as more holy because of their title or their position. Church, do not believe that you are any less important to Jesus than somebody else is because of the call that God has on their life. God's call on your life is specific and it's important and it's just as important, probably more important than some mouthpiece that stands up and shares the gospel. There are things that you do behind the scenes that bring much more glory and honor to God in the advancement of his kingdom than whoever is standing up here and preaching. I don't want to make light of what the teaching team does up here. There's a lot of hours that go into what we do. And I realize that that, that we labor intensively over the word of God so that we can communicate it to you in clarity. But what I am fearful of is a church that sees a position and that position brings holiness because it doesn't. That's good preaching. You're right. 
Romans chapter 1 puts it this way. Uh, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's you and I. For if the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You are righteous in the eyes of God, not because of your works or your deeds, but because Jesus shed his blood on Calvary for you and I. And that's the pursuit of holiness. That's when we strive to become more like Jesus in our actions, in our deeds, in our attitudes, in our words. It's not out of position. It's out of who you already are in Christ. Romans goes on to say in chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that he is God and that he has been raised from the dead, you will be saved. And once you're saved, you're seen as righteous seen as perfect when the father sees you he sees his son and he loves you and he's so proud of you he sees what you're walking through and he knows how strong you are he sees what you're walking through and he wants to comfort you in those fears and those anxiety and those downs that's one of the things that john wycliffe saw He also said this, it is not good for us to trust in our merits, in our virtue, or our righteousness, but only in God's free pardon as given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Our office in the church, our heritage, nor our actions is what saves us or makes us a Christian. For the Christian, salvation comes from Christ and Christ alone. As Jesus is praying in John chapter 17 It's called the high priestly prayer, probably at the top of your Bible. And Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says this, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. John Wycliffe saw a church that was being built, that that he saw crooked leadership, Leadership that wasn't pursuing holiness and who were looked at by the church as special because of their position. And he was disturbed greatly by it. The second thing that John Wycliffe really was disturbed by is what I'm going to call castle building instead of kingdom advancing. And we talk about this as a leadership team quite a lot. John Wycliffe, he saw the luxury and the pomp of the church and their ceremonies. And Wycliffe challenged the privileged status of the clergy, which was the central power in the role of England. In John Wycliffe's time, one-third, one-third, 30% of all of England was owned by the church. 30%. He saw authority over secular power. It's not what the church was called to be. He witnessed the over-excess of the church while the poor were being ignored. He saw Rome demanding financial support. You know why Rome was demanding financial support from all the churches? It's to fight a war, a hundred-year war actually with France. And he sees this excess happening and he knows that it doesn't line up with scripture and he sees men more worried about their castle than they are about advancing the kingdom of heaven 
People, especially new people, hey, uh, when, when are you guys thinking about getting a building? Listen, there's a dream deep in my heart one day that we can have a ministry outpost. Don't get me wrong. But that's the last thing that I'm worried about. I would rather us use our resources to continue to serve the poor, to continue to serve the widow, and just meet in the theater. And I'm okay with that. We have to be more focused on advancing the name of Jesus than we are about building a big castle. And it's what John Wycliffe saw. In Matthew chapter 8, a scribe, or a a smart person, basically, I don't want to unpack it right now, comes up to Jesus and says this to Jesus. He says, "Um, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus answers him this, this weird expression. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus wasn't worried about building an educational institution. He was worried about pouring into the lives of people. Jesus wasn't worried about building a new, bigger, better building than the synagogue. He was more worried about pouring into the lives of people. In a couple chapters before, and this is what's called, um, it's the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor dust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I don't want Audacity's treasure to be in a building. I want our treasure to be in people. I want us to invest into people. I want us to pour into people. And one day, we'll have a building, and one day it'll have fancy writing on it, and one day it'll be neat to have a facility that we can use every day of the week. But that's not what we're about. And I love how John Wycliffe recognized that the church had these ornate and, listen, beautiful, beautiful buildings. Matter of fact, if y'all can find a Catholic church that's closed and we can get a good deal on it, let me know. I mean, because they're pretty. And and there were people outside of the walls of that church suffering. There were people outside of the doors who needed bread. And John Wycliffe recognized not only that people were pursuing holiness and false motives, they were more worried about a title. He also saw people worried about building giant castles than they were about advancing the kingdom of heaven. In Proverbs, it says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. refreshed. As much as the church should focus on building up and equipping and encouraging people to become like Jesus, we must also be as focused on building up our city. That's why the reason we do some of the things that we do around here. We strive for this to be the heart of audacity. And if I'm really honest with you, most of the time we do, we bite off way more than we can chew. We're like, uh, I think we're a church of less than 100 Uh, But we'll go ahead and we'll supply school supplies for an entire school. No big deal. And we do. Because God does miracles. I don't know why he continues to every time we put ourselves out there to go big. Roger approaches me early in the spring and he goes, Ronnie, I want to do 100 backpacks and 100 pair of socks for the homeless. And I love Roger. I've known him for a long time, but I wanted to punch him. I'm like, listen, man, I ain't got time for my faith to be challenged that way. I mean, I'm comfortable. You know how much 100 backpacks is going to cost? And he's just like, hey, we've we got to believe that we can do it. 
And you know that we raised, um, I think we, we, were, we were over $11. People from all over the city gave to this thing. Everywhere. I couldn't believe it as things were coming in and we're like, okay, let's get an update on where we're at. And God continues to do things like that every time we decide we're going to try to serve a city that we love. We want to be, as John Wycliffe was challenging the church at the time to be, we want to be more focused on advancing the kingdom of Jesus than we are about building a castle. If you would like to write a check towards the castle, go right ahead. It's not our heart. Our heart is to serve the city. This last one is what Wycliffe is most known for. And it's probably should have been number one, but I wanted to close here because I'm a preacher and I try to do things in order for me. And I need you to hear this. Because if you're like me, there are different seasons of your life where you take this so for granted. I mean, on a level that probably offends the Holy Spirit. John Wycliffe deeply desired for personal Bible reading. He put, this, he put it this way when his, his view was challenged. He said, Englishmen learned Christ's law best in English. Moses heard God's law in his own tongue, and so did Christ's apostles. Wycliffe placed an emphasis on individuals interpreting the Bible for self-edification to be the guide in their life. He was opposed to the idea that the sacraments were what made somebody holy. He believed that personal Bible study that could help people grow in their knowledge of Christ. Wycliffe was an advocate for translating the Bible into English. Some of you have probably even heard of it. It's called the Wycliffe Bible. He and another guy interpreted the entire Bible. It, it actually took a lot longer than he thought it was. But the Wycliffe Bible, most people believe, he interpreted the majority of the New Testament himself. That means he painstakingly looked over at the only, the only Bible that was, a, that was around was Latin. And nobody had a copy in their own language. He was passionate about it. Let me, let me just tell you, and listen, I want to explain to you the response of the church's time. Whenever I speak about the Catholic Church, I'm saying this is the level, this is where they were in the time. I'm not bashing the Catholic Church. If you want to understand how I feel about the Catholic Church and how they pursue salvation, it'll cost you a really good cup of coffee or a nice lunch somewhere. You and I, we can sit and hash it out. I'm, but what I'm speaking here today, I want you to know I'm trying to do this in the highest of honor that I possibly can. But this is their response. I'm, this is a quote, what they gave back to Wycliffe. This is what they said. Don't be offended. By this translation, speaking of the translation out of Latin into English, the scriptures have become vulgar. And they are more available to the lay, meaning people that don't study the word of God. And even worse, to women who can read. I can't make this up. It's right there. Then they were available to scholars who have a high intelligence. Sorry, ladies. So the pearl of the gospel is scattered and trodden underfoot by swine. Just let that sit. John Wycliffe said, I am ready to defend my convictions even unto death. 
I have followed the sacred scriptures and the holy doctors. He's talking about church fathers when he says holy doctors. John Wycliffe believed that you opening your Bible in the presence of a loving father is the most impactful thing to your spiritual growth. And he wanted to make it available to everybody. John Wycliffe also said, all Christian life is to be measured by scripture, by every word thereof. There's two great dangers that I see. I see Christians that don't open their Bible. John Piper said that social media would be the great prover of how much time people could be spending on their Bibles. He probably said it more eloquently than that. Prover, is that good English? You guys know I don't let the English language get in the way of me making a good point. Not today. But if if we're honest, we have this, most of us on our phones... We have our copies. I was uh, redoing my bookshelves, and I, count, I have like seven Bibles. And all of them have this certain meaning to me. And I was looking at them yesterday, and I'm like, man, I take this so for granted. I take it so for granted that I have to learn another language so that it could speak to my heart. And the other great danger that I see when it comes to the Bible is people are living their faith by an a la carte Christianity. I will pick and choose what verses make me feel good about myself and then I will believe those and I will put everything else because that kind of offends me so I don't want to personally apply it. The same thing that Wycliffe is seeing back in 1400, we are seeing now in the church and it scares me. Paul challenged Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The psalmist says that his delight, the wise person's delight is in the scripture. It says it this way, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. The word translated from law is probably one of the worst translations. It means that the Lord's teachings is what he meditates on day and night. It's the Lord's teachings that are his delight. If I'm honest with you, here it is, 2015. And I see the same things creeping back into the church. I see churches that have clergy that are elevated above the lay people. Hogwash. That's some good. Baloney. Those are both Greek words, I think. No? Okay. I see castle building instead of kingdom advancing. I see people more worried about their facility than they are the people outside of their walls. And this is what's happened in context. Christians say this, I am going to church. No, you are the church. Everywhere you go, Christ goes. And I see personal Bible reading at a laughable level. Where people don't study the word of God. People died, were burned and died. People were exhumed and burned again so that you and I could have a copy of the Bible. 
John Wycliffe's body was exhumed and burned because he was passionate about what he uncovered in reading the scriptures. Is there something that you're so passionate about? Maybe you see a wrong in the city that you want to make right. Maybe it's how you proclaim the gospel in your workplace. He had a desire for all people to pursue the Christ-like nature that can only come from studying the scripture and praying and loving on your heavenly father and allowing him to love on you. He wanted to see the church become more passionate about those who are outside of their walls than those who are inside of their walls. He wanted to see people who were able to study the word of God in their own language. John Wycliffe believed in the power of the gospel. He believed in the power of Christ, that man was separated from God because of sin, and that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection gave us access to be like him in our own personal pursuit of holiness. That would be like him serving our neighbor. That would be like us sacrificially giving to a community of our time, our talent, and our treasure. In uh, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, John Fox quotes this when he's speaking about John Wycliffe. Though they digged up his body, burnt his bones, and drowned his ashes, yet the word of God and the truth of his doctrine, with the fruit and success thereof, they could not burn, which is yet to this day doth remain. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.